Pass First point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You listen to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. On today's show, we're going to talk about the Red Hot Blazers, who just win, 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 win after I said their season was pretty much over. That's right, I'm either a fool or the master of the reverse jinx. I'll let you decide which one it is. So we're going to talk about the Blazers' wins. A really impressive, undefeated week, 4-0. and And 2-0 and since I last spoke to you in this space. We're going to talk about a story that Chris Haynes wrote for Yahoo Sports. I think it has some significance, and at least I'd like to put it in context here in this podcast, because it is an important part of sort of the Blazers' thread. Uh, we, we've we've got to at least talk about it somewhat. And then in the third segment, as promised in Friday's show, we're going West playoff tiers where I'll rank all 15 teams in the Western Conference and just kind of whip around the league to, to find out what's going on as we head down the stretch run of the regular season and the Blazers make a push to avoid that very play-in tournament. But let's talk about the wins. The Blazers won on Friday, beating the Brooklyn Nets. In that game, the Brooklyn Nets were on the second night of a back-to-back, and they rested Kevin Durant. They also were without uh, James Harden. They were without Nick Claxton. They were uh, without Bruce Brown, who's a pretty good role player for them. Uh, they They were missing some parts. But... That's a good win. It's a good win because the Blazers won going away. And I was willing to call that a good win regardless of what happened on Sunday. I was willing to sit here and say, you know, the Blazers win first three games in the road trip. They put themselves in the right spot. They, you know, it's, it may be, that's not, you know, obviously not Brooklyn at at full strength, but the Blazers beat them going away. Uh, You know, they, they, it wasn't close and beating bad teams like handling bad teams is a sign of what good teams do. And that's what the, what the Blazers did. I don't even think the Brooklyn, that like Brooklyn group is a specifically bad team, but they're not very, they're not like a high level team. It's not an elite team without all the parts in their roster, obviously. Uh, and, but the Blazers handled them. And I was ready to say, you know what, that's, this is, this is where you, this is a really nice start to the road trip, regardless of what happened on Sunday. And then the Blazers came out. And beat the Boston Celtics. Now the Boston Celtics were without Kemba Walker and uh, Jalen Brown was probably playing through an ankle injury and all those things. But this is a pretty good Celtics team that has looked much better lately after a very confusing season. A Celtics team coming off a 32-point comeback over the San Antonio Spurs, in which Jason Tatum had 60. Then he had 24 in the first half, and it was like, all right, it's on. It was a really just a a a Anybody, anybody can score type of game in the first half. 71-71 after the end of the end of two quarters. And I, I quite frankly, I, I was, I said, you know, the Blazers have been competitive here. Whatever happens, I'm still, I'm still going positive in the show because, you know, you look good in three games. You know, we talked about huge win Wednesday against the Grizzlies, but like a really nice, just a sort of like business type win in Brooklyn on Friday. That's, that's the type of game that like, if you're not messing around, you go ahead and don't mess around and win the game. They did it, give it to them. Then the second half happened in, in Boston and the Blazers were just better than Boston on the road with a basically fully healthy roster. And the Blazers, let's let's keep it a buck. They treated this one like a playoff game. Dame pushed up towards 40 minutes. CJ McCollum pushed up towards 39. Norman Powell played 39 plus. They played eight dudes. Just, just Ennis, Ant, and Carmelo off the bench. An eight-man rotation. 
where everybody played a bunch of minutes. This was, this was, the Blazers are treating these games like the playoffs. These are the eight dudes, Terry Stotts trusts, and these are the eight dudes that are playing. And the win alone is enough for me to just say, hey, however you do it, let's, let's, this is a special one. You're 4-0. You're guaranteed at worst to go 4-2 on a very daunting six-game road trip. You've bounced back from a five-game losing streak in this exact space. Uh, you know, Sunday Sunday show, um, that are, the, it's Monday show, but I record them on Sundays each week. Sunday show, I buried the Blazers last week. I got the shovel out the shed and buried them. Uh, you know, maybe I didn't put... <laughs> full six feet of dirt on him, but I had, you know, three and a half on there and I was, I was preparing my eulogy remarks. I buried him and I was wrong. I wasn't wrong because I kind of left the door open a little bit to say, what if they do exactly this? But no part of me, no part of me thought they were going to do this. I thought they'd probably win against Indiana. I thought they might bounce back and win against Memphis. I did not see them beating Brooklyn and Boston, even with missing some parts this they just something changed in that Memphis game when they did not bring it somewhere in the flight from Portland when they did not bring it against Memphis to when they landed and played on Tuesday night against the Indiana Pacers something changed there they had a moment where where they where they sort of just the players got together and decided or um you know Dame did some voodoo magic to just start seeing his shot go in more often and just play just like straight up just make more shots the ball is popping they're more attentive on defense uh like you know better ball movement better defense all of their sort of bugaboos their woes that have plagued them have have they haven't gone away. Um, I think that would be um, that would be incorrect to say. But like they, the ball is moving. the 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 assist numbers reflect that, and you don't even need the assist numbers. Like you can just watch the possessions. I'm not going to bore you with the box score here. Like you can just if you watch them play, the ball is moving. They're finding guys. They're playing through. You know, second and third actions when the first little dribble handoff doesn't work. They're getting into a second action and getting into stuff. They just look better. They look better and smarter and sharper. Some of it is basic. Some of it is just trying harder. But I cannot I cannot chalk it all up to effort and energy. I think that is too simple. I think that's too reductive. And I think it's in some ways a little bit insulting to how hard it is to play NBA basketball. A lot of this is just game plan focused stuff. We don't want this dude to go here. Don't let him. Uh, that certainly matters. And some of it is just their best players are playing better. Nurk is playing the best basketball that he's played in years, in two years. Uh, Norman Powell is making three-pointers after he was dipping below 33% in his Blazers career. He's starting to get his offense going and, and play really well. Damian Lillard, after having quite frankly, looking like troublingly struggles um, through last weekend has really has really started to look like the old letter O. And C.J. McCollum on Sunday busted back from a quiet game Friday against the Brooklyn Nets to pour in 33 and at times was the best offensive player on the floor in a game that included Jason Tatum and Damian Lillard. But the big moment for me in this game against Boston was Damian Lillard deciding to guard Jason Tatum in the second half or requesting to guard Jason Tatum in the second half, whatever you want it is. But he took on that responsibility. Tatum had 24 in the first half and was rolling. He had 84 in his last uh, six quarters and overtime. Dude was just on fire and, and had carried over. 
And he had just nine points in the second half. And now that isn't all Damian Lord. It's not like Dame locked him up. I don't think that. But Dame was competitive and set the tone. And guys were, because Dame was was setting that tone with his level of sort of, um, you know, give a crap on defense, with his level of responsibility that he was going to take. I'm going to play this hard on defense. Everybody followed. And the Blazers closed a majority of this game with Dame, CJ, Mello, Norm, and, and Yusuf Nurkic on the court. Not an elite defensive group by any means. No Robert Covington on the, on the floor. Like, he's your elite help defender that you'd think could allow Dame to go do this. Was like, you've, you know, you've got Rocco and Nurk behind you and it's going to help. But for the most part, part, Rocco spent crunch time on the bench. He, he played a couple offense-defense possessions. Uh, one in which he came on and denied uh, Jason Tatum. Huge, huge possession. Denied Jason Tatum so that uh, Boston Celtics don't get that, what they want. Then... There's a sub on the on before the Blazers' offense possession, uh, and Stotts goes back to Mello, and Mello hits a crucial kind of, I don't know, game deciding, but certainly like cr- very very crucial, put the Blazers up in a really good spot type three in the final two and a half minutes. Like this was, um, this was everybody, but I think Dame set the tone, and that's the tone. The the. On Tuesday, against the Indiana Pacers, Malcolm Brogdon had 14 in the first quarter, and then Damian Lillard very obviously started playing more competitive defense against the Indiana Pacers point guard. And he said after the game, he told Jason Quick, uh, like, you know, I took that responsibility. And quite frankly, I brush that off as BS, as the type of smart BS answer that Dame sometimes gives because he's a smart guy who knows what we want to hear. I brushed it off. And I was wrong because the, the defensive int- intensity that Dame played with in that game, everyone has carried with them from basically the second quarter of the Pacers game through Sunday's win against the Boston Celtics. They just look like a different team than they did last week. And I don't think my sort of largest concerns have changed. I think the West is going to be tough. But the way that I had... N- I thought there is no way the Blazers can beat anyone in the West playoffs. At this level that they're playing at, there are teams that they can for, for sure beat because Norm is finding his rhythm on offense. They are playing with sort of a just a a, a focus on defense that was missing, a, a, a focus to game plan stuff, to to player specific stuff that was missing. Let's, you know, let's blow up handoffs, let's do all these things. Like there's just a level that the a level that they weren't able to tap into they're tapping into and quite frankly i think that that most of that should go to credit should go to the players here like they're just playing harder and better um i'm not taking away from the coaching staff but like um this was the, the these are the guys on the court deciding to do this um i think this is more about the blazers the the dudes wearing the jerseys taking the responsibility to play at this level more than it is like the coaches finally breaking through um this is i'm Obviously, it's a it's a whole team effort. I don't want to sort of poo poo the efforts of Terry Stotts and his staff. I know that he's he's kind of taken enough crap this year from everybody. Um, but like to me, what I'm watching is I'm watching the players realize where they are, realize what was go- what was happening to them um, in that basically from Sunday's game where they got embarrassed in the first three quarters and then had to try to scramble back and damn near won it. And somewhere in that, somewhere between that loss and Tuesday's game against the Indiana Pacers, and maybe even the, the middle of the second quarter in that game against the Pacers, when Dame came back on the court, like 
okay, we get it, let's go. And they're in just, they're in let's go mode. This is as well as they've played all year. It is a classic Terry Stotts team to sort of have these end of the season, oh man, they look dead in the water and then and then get hot right at the end of the year and, and go into the playoffs playing their best basketball. What happens in the playoffs is another story, but this is sort of a classic Stotts team and they're doing it again. And I truly didn't think they would. Those of you who listen to all the podcasts, all the episodes, you'll know that in Friday's show, I said, if the Blazers sweep the road trip, uh, I will eat my shoe. And y'all, I'm a little worried about having to eat some shoe on Wednesday evening if the Blazers cap off a six-game road trip because they're playing well enough to win. And they're playing well enough to win because their best player has set the tone and everyone's falling in line. And they're all taking it seriously. Like, they're all treating these games like what they are. That's not a surprise, right? Like, the sort of level of respect that they're giving the game. But, like, you can see it. You can see it out there. Um, You know, an an eight-man rotation is a playoff rotation. Uh, 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 Damian Lillard demanding to check the best teams, the other team's best player is is sort of a a a like we gotta win this i'm going to set the tone type of thing and the complimentary parts nurk and 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 uh and roko who hit three threes tonight and norman powell who's looking um just has a lot of value as an offensive player and a hustle guy like he's he he's look he's really filling in like this is this is as well as they've played and it's it comes on the heels of me thinking that 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 they had just kind of given up on the season so credit to them and like i said i'm either a big dumb dummy or the king of the reverse jinx and i'll let you i'll let you fill in the blank on that one in the second segment we're not going to talk about four blazers wins anymore we're going to talk about a story that chris haynes wrote in uh, yahoo sports this week it kind of set uh the blazers internet fan base on fire so i think i want to give a segment to it to sort of discuss what i saw and that's what i read in that story when i what i didn't react to it it's important enough that it deserves that so that's what we'll do in the second segment but first let's talk about indeed If you're a hiring expert for your company, what you really need is help making your short list of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who helps make your life easier. You need Indeed. Indeed is the job site, and it makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality short list of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster, only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications, and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your job description immediately, and Indeed skills tests that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. Plus, you can choose from more than 137 of these skills tests. Then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than any other job site combined. Excuse me, all other job sites combined. All of them. Indeed's got four times more hires than them. So if you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com locked. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. All right. 
So we talked about the Blazers' four-game winning streak. They just look like a, a, a good basketball team again, and maybe a good basketball team for the first time all season, like a truly competitive and in, in any game type of basketball team, which I don't think you could have said about them all year. They're just playing really well, and I didn't think they could do it. Maybe I'm foolish for giving up on them, but they have certainly proved me wrong this week. But... What I want to I want to shift gears a little bit now and talk about a story that came out on Friday. Blazers, you know, win two games. Uh, they, you know, a huge win, their best win of the year against the Memphis Grizzlies, a, a season-saving and a statement-type win, just beating the be, beating someone up who they who had given them trouble the previous week, turning a, a you know two games that had been pretty close losses. They they come back and get a route, an easy win, and a story comes out on Yahoo Sports written by Chris Haynes, who's uh, if you do, I'm not familiar with Chris Haynes, he's he started in the Portland market. He worked at NBC Sports. Uh, it was Comcast at the time, but he worked at NBC Sports Northwest. Uh, he then worked for the Cleveland Plain Dealer, and now he's a national writer for Yahoo Sports. He's been around the game for a while. And Haynes wrote a story on Friday that was called, or titled, Is Damon Lillard Fighting the Good Fight Alone in Portland? And it rolled through, you know, kind of the stage, stage setting. You know, Dame's the best trailblazer ever. He's, uh, you know, a uniquely no-fuss uh, superstar. Although the dude who might win MVP in Denver probably has a little bit of say on the sort of no-fuss superstar. Um, talks about Dame playing through injuries. Um, and and a couple other things. Kind of just like the the, the crux of it is the title, right? Like that the, the Blazers have not done right by a guy who's incredibly loyal to them to get him to the level to be consistently competitive for a championship and Dame hasn't complained yet and I think the subtext of yet was the big thing here quite frankly this uh, this story sort of set the internet on fire um I know that there was a lot of a lot of um I mean this is what people do on the internet they chat they chat about stuff right like that's why people use Twitter or whatever but like um I saw a lot of sort of outrage on Twitter like this was like this big sort of thing and I quite frankly that's not what I read when I read it uh there wasn't a lot of new reporting like if you listen to Friday's show Jamie Hudson of NBC Sports like told you all the injuries Dame is dealing with including this like you know secret ankle injury that was cited in the story as com- according to sources I mean da- Terry Stotts told the media that told local media that if you People on the beat know, have been telling you this if you if you pay close attention to the team. Uh, it also mentioned the story that Terry Stotts is likely to be fired. Um, you know, Jason Quick, the Athletic, has had that a bunch. If you listen to this podcast, I have speculated as much. Uh, that that particular element wasn't tied to anyone. Chris Haynes is super plugged in and breaks a shit ton of news. Um, if he says it, is is happening. But other people have said it too. Like this wasn't um, th- this wasn't. Uh, like, like I said, this wasn't breaking news. Uh, you know, Dame's not quoted in the story. Um, it's all, it's, you know, it's, it, it kind of reads as, as Haynes's opinion. However, I understand why people were up, were upset or up in arms because Dame and Chris Haynes have a, have a very close relationship. They're friends. Like, um, Dame, Dame said as much after, after Friday's game. Uh, they're, they're, they're pals. Like, like they, they have a close relationship. They've had it. They've known each other for closing in on a decade. Haynes was here during Dame's rookie year and covered it for, um, covered him for a bunch of years here and has, has written about him and continued to, um, you know, have a professional relationship with him since he's moved on to being a big national writer, uh, working for TNT and writing for Yahoo. Like they're homies. Um, but so I think people assumed that, um, and some of this is the way it was written, the way the story is written, undeniably, is that this was Dame 
not a dame like plant i think maybe that's the wrong word but like that this story wouldn't have been written and published without dame's um approval and dame denied that at when asked about it by the media he went he you know he very earnestly said no i wouldn't do that haynes is doing his his um Haynes is doing his job. He's a writer. It's what writers do. Uh, I don't know if I believe that. I, I actually, I think I don't believe that. I'll just call, I'll call it like it is. Uh, I don't think Chris Haynes would have written the story without um, Dame, not maybe like giving him the heads up or telling him to write it, but he wouldn't have put this out there without um, sort of giving talking to Dame saying, I'm going to do this. What do I need to know? Like doing reporting. He wouldn't have done this without doing reporting. He's a, like, he's a journalist, right? Like do, doing reporting. I don't like, I, there wasn't a lot there, like new reporting, but like he, he dude made calls. Like he's doing his job. Dude's a, he's a professional. Um, so I no doubt he contacted Dame and talked to him at least in vague terms about writing something like this. Um, I think the sort of why people freak out. And I think this is like the fair thing. It's like that what the story seems, the pretext or the subtext of the story, I should say, is like that basically like the, the coaching hasn't done enough and likely the coaching is done. Like the co this coaching staff is, is coaching its final games. Uh, and so maybe a new coach will change things up, but also the, the front office hasn't done enough to get Dame an all-star. What it stops short of saying and what it absolutely does not say and is like sort of the thing you have to say if you write this is that the move is to trade CJ, to break up the pairing. It does not explore that at all. And to me, that is kind of why it reads as a Dame story because Dame wouldn't do that to CJ because they're also boys. So to me, I kind of get why people are freaking out, but there wasn't a lot there. I read this is this is how I'll sum it up and then we'll move on. Um I don't think I don't think the story wouldn't have been written without Dame understanding that it was coming. I don't know if he would have I don't think he like proofread it or edited or some shit, but like he 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 would have known it's coming. There's it's undeniable just um based on what we know about uh the Haynes' relationship, what he's written about in the past, um his connections to Damien Lord, how how the story was framed, all those things. Like he he knew. Um and what it says to me is that Dame is frustrated. He's frustrated. He thinks the coaching has not been up to par, and I think that's fair and obvious. And there's been some times when I think Dame's body language on the bench and in in, in post-game interviews has suggested that exact thing, that it's just kind of, we're not doing enough and I need some help. And that help has to come from like creative coaching. And I also think it says like, hey, Neil, I know that you've, you know, delivered some good parts, but I want you to, I want to be like, I, I want to win here. And I want to be really good. I don't think Dame would like, I'm sure he's had that conversation with Neil. Um, I don't think he needs to like go through the press to, to make this threat. But I think this was a way of publicly kind of putting it out there after two wins when Dame's playing a lot better, putting it out there of saying like, yeah, come on, come on. I'm, everyone knows how good I am and how loyal I am. Like, let's, let's get there. Um, but a story that stops short of explicitly saying the Blazers need to explore trading CJ McCollum to get to the next level is not a story br brave and bold enough for you all to freak out about. If you read in the subtext that the Blazers are going to break up Damon CJ, sure, sure. But uh, I didn't read those words and I didn't even read the, the implications that big changes could be on the horizon. I read a story about a superstar being frustrated during a frustrating season. All that shit is believable to me. And I think Dame has been public about that frustration. So um, I kind of think this story, like I, 
you got to respect when Chris Haynes writes about Damian Lillard because he because of the relationship, because of his track record, all those things. You've got to just, you got to read it and know what you're reading. But to me, I know that sort of the Blazer fan base got a little worked up about this. But to me, this did not this did not sound like Neil's getting fired, TJ's getting traded, Terry's getting fired. This sounded like the same thing that we, that if you listen closely to this podcast or you're regular to this podcast that I've been saying is that uh, Dame's probably frustrated and Terry's probably done. Uh, I think... <laughs> I think that was more, quite frankly, more of the same in this, uh, in this story. But considering the timing, considering who wrote it, um, it deserved a segment, and then that's what we gave it to. And now we're gonna we're gonna move on from it. In the third segment, I want to talk about Western Conference tiers. Uh, I rank all fifteen teams in the Western Conference based on tiers, not on sort of overall power rankings. Kind of give a look around the league to what's happening as we head into the final ten or so games left in the regular season. So that's what we're gonna do in the second segment or third segment rather. But first, let's talk about BetOnline.ag. Y'all know Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. If you missed the Kentucky Derby this week, you missed a great time to jump in on the Bet Online world. But that doesn't matter because you can still head on over to betonline.ag to get the latest news, odds, and info for all your sports betting needs, including baseball, basketball, hockey, and UFC and MMA action. So head on over to that website. Don't sit on the sidelines. Because you got to get in on this as teams make their push to the playoffs. While you're on that website, betonline.ag, make sure you use the promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar ever. That's what they're doing. They're making delicious protein bars. They're not messing around. Look, I love Bill Bar. I've 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 read these ads for cl- closing in on two years, um, and I've read a lot of ads on this year podcast. But Bill Bar, they, these rock. Like these rock. I I could I could I could crush you through the ad copy if I wanted. But let me, let me just hit you with the what you need to know. These bars are delicious. They're also low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. Each one of these at least has at least 17 grams of protein. Many of them more. Go get yourself some. Go to BillBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BillBar.com. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Locked on Lasers. We talked about the Blazers' four-game winning streak. We talked about a uh, controversial but relatively straightforward, you could believe it, article from Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports. Now let's talk about Western Conference playoff tiers. I've done this exercise a couple times. I am running through all 15 teams in the Western Conference and ranking them by tiers. It's not a straight-up power ranking. It's it's kind of how I think about teams as kind of in groups as opposed to like, this is one, this is two, this is three. Uh, while often these rankings are similar to the standings, I think it gives us a better sense of like where teams are huddled around, who's doing what. It is a check-in on the league. So here we go. Let's run through all 15 teams in the West, top to bottom, starting with Tier 1, which includes two teams, the Phoenix Suns and the Utah Jazz. Y'all, if the Jazz aren't healthy in the playoffs, if Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley aren't healthy, they're going to be bounced early. I'm not worried about them being healthy, but this group, um, 
People like to talk about their depth. They are top-heavy, just like every good team that there is in the league. They rely on their stars. Rudy Gobert is fantastic. He might win Defensive Player of the Year this year, but he is not a good enough offensive player or even close to it to hold it down without elite pick-and-roll partners around him. And when those two haven't played, the Jazz have looked a lot worse, like when they got absolutely rolled by a full-strength Suns team. The Jazz are good. They have earned they have earned sort of the benefit of the doubt. They don't you don't win, you don't play at this high of an offensive level. You don't have this many dudes who can shoot it and create off the dribble and pass and be dangerous and also have a defensive anchor and a defensive identity and without being good. This team is good. I'm 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 not even I'm not sweating that. But for the first time in a while, the Jazz are in, are in danger. A slip into tier two. That's my threat. Sons? They're on the other end. This team's just really freaking good. Um, you know, DeAndre Ayton's coming into his own. Chris Paul just helps teams win. Uh, Devin Booker has kind of uh, just really, he can score at all three levels. Like he can, he can, he can post you up. He can get to the mid post. He can pull up. He can shoot from three, even though he's, he's probably considered a better shooter from d- distance than he really is. He can get to the rim. He draws fouls. He can make he can make high-level passes on the move. Like, he's just a really, really good offensive player. Um, I think Chris Paul's their best player still at age 35. I think Chris Paul's going to make second-team All-NBA probably. Like, if I had a vote, I'd vote him second-team All-NBA. Age 35? Came in the 2005 NBA draft? His 16th season? My goodness. There are other parts. Mikael Bridges is really good. Um, they're getting good production from their backup point guard spots. They're just, they're just good. They're just good. This is a good team. That's why they're in Tier 1. Tier 2 is two teams, Denver and the LA Clippers. Denver just won't lose. No Monty Morris, no Jamal Murray. It doesn't matter. You're playing Shaq Harrison. It doesn't matter. He's balling. P.J. Dozier looks like a really solid part, and he can help. They're winning games when Aaron Gordon isn't good. Uh, the Paul Millsap, Jamichael Green duo is kicking ass off the bench. That's right. When Nikola Jokic sits, the dude who's going to win MVP of the league, Jamichael Green and Paul Millsap are whooping teams' ass off the bench. Like, that That duo is really good. Falco Campazzo has is just... He's just a pro. I mean, the dude was a pro in Europe. He's come over here. The, the Nuggets paid him to come here. They gave him big money. And he's and he's just solid as hell and hold, held it down. And Michael Porter Jr. is looking like a future star. He's 6'10 with the ratchet, to quote Chandler Parsons back in the day. Except uh, Michael Porter Jr. is already better than Chandler Parsons ever was. Like, um, he doesn't have a great off-the-dribble game, but... Boy, can he shoot it. And he has enough of an off-a-dribble game that at 6'10", he can get to the mid-range and get shots over anyone. He's a great cutter off of what they want to run with Jokic. He's, I mean, he's just, he's hes a really good rebounder on the defensive end. And he's figured out how to be not a total negative on that end either. Like, he even has nights when he's good on defense. Um, the, the Nuggets, if the Nuggets were at full strength, uh, I would be I would be worried about them. But I, I'll tell you what, wouldn't want to play them in the playoffs. That's a good basketball team. Uh, the Clippers, you know, Kawhi Leonard hadn't played in two weeks. Uh, they were rolling along okay, but like you know, they're they're tied to their stars. Uh, they they recently lost to the Nuggets this week in a game where just Paul George didn't play very well, and 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 you know Kawhi played for the first time in twenty days or whatever it was. Uh, 
you know, they, they lost, but they showed why they can be so good. Like they brought, you know, I thought Rondo played well. I thought they brought Boogie Cousins in and he matched up well against Jokic and gave gave the Clippers real offense. Like they've, they've got enough depth and enough veterans and enough guys like uh, Marcus Morris who just shoot, you know, they're, they're as a team, they're shooting about 40% from three. Nicholas Batum's in a perfect role there. Um, this, they belong in tier two and I'm confident with them there. Three teams in, in tier three. The LA Lakers, who as I'm recording this, are getting just smoked by the Toronto Raptors at home. What? I thought I was going to put the Lakers in um, in Tier 2, but um, they barely belong in Tier 3 at this point. You know, LeBron's back, AD's back, and they don't have their mojo. They might be a, they might end up at the play-in tournament, uh, which... <laughs> Which sucks for whoever has to face them in the playing tournament because they're probably going to thrash you. But like this team has no business being as bad as they are right now. They're a mess. Um, they're the worst of the three of the three teams in tier three. The other th- three teams in tier three are the the Portland Trailblazers, who were looking like a tier four tier team last week, and then ripped off four straight wins, beat actually good teams in Memphis, Brooklyn, and Boston. Uh, they're just in. They're just on a on a in a better space than they've been. I don't, there's no other way to say it. They're just, they, the Blazers are just better than they have, have been. I mean, listen to the other two episodes, the other two segments of this podcast for further details. Uh, the Mavs, if they don't play the Sacramento Kings are really, really good. When they do play the Sacramento Kings, they're really, really bad. Uh, they lost all three games of the Kings this, this year, including Sunday's game at home to a Kings team missing Harrison Barnes, missing De'Aaron Fox, and who lost Tyrese Halliburton during the game, but the Kings or the Mavs got punked by DeLon Wright and Buddy Heald. My oh my. Uh, good for good news for the Mavs is that they're still an elite offensive team led by Luka Doncic, but and they don't have to play the Kings anymore this year. Tier four, we got th- three more teams. These are these are your play-in wonders right here. The Grizzlies, who just uh, you know, started to get it together against after a long road trip and beaten the Blazers twice and then have struggled since then, not not playing consistently, I should say. But not playing consistently is probably more accurate than struggled. Um, you know, they've they're healthy, they've got their they've got their guys back, but they're just uh they just haven't been able to put together like long sustained stretches of looking like a high level team. That's why they're in tier four. The Warriors, um I know I know that like Steph Curry's going to finish like, you know, fourth or fifth in the MVP voting, but they're not very good. Um, and they had a chance to really put themselves in a good position and got thrashed by the the Mavericks last week, or, or I don't know how weeks work when I record these on Sundays, but last week, by the time you're listening to this, uh, they're, they're not a consistently good enough team to be anywhere else. They belong in tier four. The Spurs, um, you know, DeMar DeRozan just keeps on ticking. If they get in close games, his ability to score one-on-one and his improved playmaking gives them a chance against anybody. Um, but they have a relatively thin margin for error and they just don't have enough. DeJounte Murray and, and Keldon Johnson and, and Derek White just aren't sort of star level enough to offset um, the rest of their sometimes offensive woes. I like the Spurs a lot. I like what Jakob Pertle brings. Um, I like I like what they, you know, I like what they they could be, but here's what they are. They're just a team that's going to be on the edge of the play-in tournament. They got a brutal schedule, so they might end up outside of the play-in tournament, but um, they belong here in Tier 4 because they're, they're better than the rest of these teams in this list. Tier 5, a team by themselves. Don't know what to do with this group. New Orleans Pelicans. They're not tanking, but they're not winning. Uh, they just can't play defense with any consistency. Their offense kind of can bog down uh, because Brandon, Brandon Ingram wants to ISO so much. It, offense is certainly not their problem. Zion Williamson's awesome. Uh, 
Lonzo Ball's turned into a really, really good shooter and, and, and a really good half-court spacer. Still has great playmaking instincts, although he's not much of a, a, a one-on-one creator. Uh, Brandon Ingram, a great ISO scorer, but not a lot else. Um, this is, you know, they are who they are. They're just in a weird spot. They're, they belong by themselves in Tier 5 as a team not trying to be bad, but not yet capable of being good. Tier 6, two teams, Kings and Wolves. Wolves move out of the bottom tier for the first time this season. All of a sudden, they're good. Like, they're good. Uh, you know, D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Downs, when they're healthy, this team wins games or at least about half of their games. It seems like they're like a 500 level team when those two dudes play. Um, you know, D'Angelo Russell settling into a six man role is really big. Chris Finch, even though I think they really bungled that hire in an embarrassing way, I think they got, they ended up getting a good coach. I believe I said that at the right time. Like even if they got their right guy, they did it in a really embarrassing and kind of ugly way. Um, and, uh, you know, it worked for him. He seems like he's a pretty good coach. Uh, maybe we'll forget it, or maybe they'll do more Wolf stuff and we'll continue to make fun of him for it. Uh, but yeah, they look, they're a better basketball team than they've been all year right now. Kings, I guess they belong in this space. Um, they can be really bad, but I think they're sort of better than the other teams, although they're increasingly banged up, so maybe they belong in Tier 7. This might be the team that I screwed up on. They might, they probably belong in Tier 7, but I moved them in Tier 6. You know, no Deer and Fox, no... Uh, no Harrison Barnes as I'm recording this do not know the info on Tyrese Halliburton's injury but if they're missing those three guys that's a bad basketball team even as much as I liked DeLon Wright um they're a historically bad defensive team that's what they are but somehow they remained out of the cellar on these rankings and as I'm reading to you live I already regret it tier seven which should include the Kings but doesn't is the Houston Rockets who are just an absolute mess but Kevin Porter Jr. is a joy um, and I think Kelly Olynyk is somehow their best player which is really something uh, but they're bad I mean this is a bad basketball team and OKC who um, were in 11th place and two and a half games out of play-in game when they decide to shut uh, Shea Jills Alexander down. Um, they've also, you know, shut Al Horford down. They're intentionally losing games. They're two and nineteen in their last twenty-one. Um, people should be mad at Sam Presti the way they were mad at Sam Hinkie. He should be getting dogged on for this this epic tank job he's putting on. Like they should be. B- People in the media should be killing OKC, but people in the media like Sam Presti, and he's getting to skate. He should get the wrath. They're losing on purpose. They built a decent team and decide to be an awful one. This is not how it's supposed to work, right? Like, we're supposed to be mean to teams that tank. I don't give a shit about it, but everyone was so mad at the Philadelphia 76ers. Where's that, you know, where's that same energy? What do they say? Bring that same energy for the Oklahoma City Thunder that are intentionally terrible. They did it. They're doing it. Uh, maybe they'll get Cade Cunningham for their troubles. That's it. That's your seven playoff tiers. That's all 15 teams in the West. And that's the show. Uh, Mailbag Mondays tomorrow night. I record on Monday nights, post it on Tuesdays. It's our weekly mailbag show. Tweet at me at Mike G. Rich or send me an email. What is the address? LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Somehow I almost forgot that one. LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com or at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Also, be sure to check out the Locked On Today podcast. All the sports news you need in under 20 minutes, hosted by Peter Bukowski. He runs through all the major sports stories in in every professional sports league with the help of the local experts from the Locked On Podcast Network. Make sure you're following it wherever you get podcasts or also on the Odyssey app. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.